Beth Scooper says the profession should strive for a situation where political leaders consult them in policy making and recognition of psychologists' expertise in understanding the present and predicting future trends. Cooper was delivering his presidential speech at the first-ever Pan-African Psychology Congress in Durban. He, however, says that even in the most economically developed countries where psychology is strongest as a profession, this is not the case. Cooper says development and psychology are interrelated. He says in some struggling African countries, policymakers are very skeptical about the contribution psychology can make. Uh, and, and here we are thinking about uh, issues like uh, indigenous psychologies, uh, African psychology, uh, because we know that the human being, uh, human behavior, human thinking, human affect and mood, all of those things that characterize us as people, they are influenced by our cultural, our indigenous backgrounds. So, 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 so this is the start. We, we'll, we're all absolutely excited. African leaders should speak with one voice on matters that still affect the continent at this year's United Nations General Assembly currently underway in New York. This is a view of Professor Mamadou Diouf, Director of African Studies at the Columbia University. Global leaders are gathering at the United Nations headquarters in New York this week for the annual round of top-level diplomatic talks known as the General Debate. The theme of the debate of the 72nd General Assembly is focusing on people striving for peace and a decent life for all on a sustainable planet. Professor Adiyev says although the UN has been criticized for its perceived ineffectiveness, the body is still a force for global good. I, I think the importance of the General Assembly is related to the fact that it's one of the spaces, say, in which some of the most important discussions are relating to actually both cooperation and peace are, are conducted. And I think that one of the crucial questions today is the question of both what is called terrorism and the question of the of North Korea, which are two issues which are more and more important. That's the news for now. I'll be back with the headlines at 17.30. It is 1706 Central African time. Thank you very much, Amanda, for that update. Hundreds of supporters of Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta surrounded the country's Supreme Court, demanding the quick removal of two of the judges that nullified the re-election of Kenyatta. James Shimanyula reports. Like a swarm of bees invading and surrounding a huge tree, hundreds of protesters supporting President Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya surrounded the country's Supreme Court, shouting at the top of their voices that they want Kenyatta to be sworn in as soon as possible. They also demanded the removal of two of the four judges that annulled Kenyatta's victory in the August 8th presidential election. Here are the protesters' voices which brought operations at the Supreme Court to a standstill.
videos were sounds of Uhuru Kenyatta's supporters here in Nairobi. They thronged the Supreme Court ahead of tomorrow, Wednesday, when judges of the court are to deliver a long judgment of the short version that annulled Kenyatta's victory. Meanwhile, there was a beehive of activities around Kenya's parliament building in Nairobi. Addressing journalists there earlier today, Tuesday, Ben Washali, the ruling Jubilee Party Majority Chief Whip in Kenya's National Assembly, pointed out that Raila Odinga and his colleagues in the Opposition National Super Alliance in Short Nasa have no constitutional or legal rights to speak about the holding of elections in the country. They have no authority to guide on how elections will be carried out in this republic. We want NASA as a party to remain as a party with the political interests, but not with the powers to control on how the elections will be carried out. They don't have any constitutional mandate. Washali's remarks on Odinga come shortly after the veteran opposition leader said persistently that he will only participate in the repeat presidential election if all top officials of the Electoral Commission involved in malpractices and irregularities are removed and replaced by new personnel. Washali asserted that Odinga and his colleagues have no authority to push for the removal of the IEBC officials. Raila Odinga and uh, his uh, team cannot today, without any good reason, start talking of how to remove this officer or how to remove the other officer. As Washali spoke, the countdown continues to tomorrow's eagerly awaited delivery of a lengthy verdict of the short version that the Supreme Court delivered to nullify re-election of President Uru Kenyatta. Benny Washali, Kenya's ruling Jubilee Party Majority Chief Whip, alluded to the Wednesday delivery of the verdict, but first cited a football analogy to bring Odinga to light in his proper status. We want to know the detailed ruling so that we know who may have uh, done any mistake, if there is any. Because as far as we know, as in Jubilee, there was no mistake. And uh, if there was, then it's a mistake that will not affect us as a party. Therefore, we are asking Raila Odinga to be a player and not be a referee as far as the elections of this country are concerned. That was Ben Washali, Kenya's ruling in Jubilee Party Majority Chief Whip. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. 1710 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Media rights groups in Zimbabwe will be approaching the Southern African Development Community soon to complain over the continued harassment of journalists ahead of the 2018 Harmonized Polls. Three Zimbabwean journalists were subpoenaed to appear before a high court yesterday to give evidence in a treason case involving four security personnel, including accused rather of trying to bomb President Robert Mugabe's Adere Kushunga holdings. Meanwhile, the issue is now around the use of four by the state to drag the journalists to testify in court based on their alleged bombing stories contrary to the constitution. This comes at a time when journalists in the DRC and Cameroon have also raised concerns over the arrest of their fellows who reported on security stories. Simon Machema is in Harare. Zimbabwean media rights groups 
have complained over increased harassment by security agents as the country prepares for the 2018 harmonized elections. Zimbabwean Union of Journalists, Zuj, and Media Institute of Southern Africa, MISA, raised concerns Monday after three journalists were forced to testify in a treason case involving President Robert Mugabe's dairy Gushungo Holdings. Mlondolo Zindlovu, Malvin Mukudu, and Ernest Mzengi were ordered by the Zimbabwean police to give testimonies against four military agents accused of plotting to bomb Mugabe's farm last year. Based on the stories they wrote from media briefings, police dragged the journalists to court to strengthen their matter despite the scribes invoking Section 61 and Section 62 that guarantees media freedom. There was an outcry in Zimbabwe Monday following the matter resulting in media rights groups saying they would approach SADAG. Zimbabwe Union of Journalists, Zuj Secretary General Foster Dongozi, told Channel Africa. The regional board, such as SADIC, continental board, such as the ANU, to begin to unpack issues uh, around the safety and security of journalists, fighting impunity against journalists. And this is where I think we call or lobby in our bodies or continental bodies begin to take the safety and security of journalists seriously because uh, it's, an, it's an epidemic that is uh, broken out uh, throughout Africa. Therefore, uh, it's not something that can be addressed uh, in small parts, but to call on all these uh, continental and regional bodies to begin to seriously uh, look into issues of impunity against journalism. While the alleged bombing plot was on a private property belonging to Mugabe and his family, Zimbabwean authorities are treating the matter as treason. The threats against the journalists in Zimbabwe comes at a time when media rights bodies on the continent have raised concerns over the Cameroon press freedom crackdown. While in Congo Brazzaville, a call has been made for two journalists to be released. Acting director at Misa Zimbabwe, Tabani Moyo, had this to say. I think our position has been uh, clear since uh, time immemorial. Uh, but, uh, you know, the practice uh, and the craft of journalism is uh, guaranteed in the Constitution, supported by our Constitution uh, and our Bill of Rights, Section 51, that uh, we are free as journalists uh, to perform our duties in a manner that is not restricted, in a manner that is not hindered by state or other actors interfering. We urge the government to respect the constitution um, where we believe that the institutions that are also established through the constitution are performing a role. We comply because we respect the, the institution, but we put our best foot forward in defense of the constitutional provision. There's no one right which is bigger than the other or superior than the other. Lawyers for the three journalists, Chris Mike, explained of the latest development in the High Court in Harare, where the journalists were excused from appearing in the court at the moment. Meanwhile, the High Court judge, Justice Tawanda Chitapi, excused the journalists pending an application by the lawyer to stop them from testifying, Chris Mike said. A Zimbabweans prepares for the next elections, concerns of harassment and fear have been raised. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 1716 Central African Time is still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumelele Zondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Remember that you can find us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Now, fraud detection and investigation leaders are gathered at the 10th Annual Association of Certified Fraud Examiners Conference in South Africa, city of Pretoria, to look into growing fraud trends around the world. Financial fraud problems in corporations and in communities has grown rapidly in recent years. Even modern internet companies with sophisticated controls find themselves falling victim to vendor fraud, resulting in combined losses of billions of dollars through fraudulent wire transfers. These problems highlight the deficiencies of the existing fraud detection systems and participants at the conference are discussing how to improve and find new approaches. CEA of the ACFE South Africa, Yako Deyaga, is at the conference in South Africa's capital. Well, one thing that one needs to understand is fraud in, and uh, corruption is used for, number one, uh, um, own purposes, uh, own benefits, greed, uh, but it's also used for various other types of crimes and, and funding of those crimes. We talk about human trafficking, we talk about drugs, we talk about murders, we talk about um, all organized crimes that's being committed. Where do they get their funding from? Um, and I must uh, tell you that most of the funding comes from fraud and corruption, tender frauds, etc. like that. So we need to do away with this in order to stop all crimes and all um, organized crimes for that matter. And we get together at the, the conference dealing with ethics, dealing with with ways to prevent and detect uh, fraud and corruption from occurring um, in order to, to learn from one another, to learn from experts, to look at tools available in, in gathering of the information. This is um, one of the, the, the best places to be. We've got delegates from Africa, um, 20 African countries attending the session. So what we need to do is we need to share information of Africa. And a lot of people uh, confuse um, fraud and corruption uh, and thinking it's just a one-country problem or uh, a one-continent problem for that matter. So we, um, at this conference, we share these practices. 
Talking specifically about banks, we're living in an increasingly digital world of yeah. integrated transactional technologies, you know, that, that allow consumers to access their accounts through the web, mobile, in-store, call centers. Now, as banks continue to strengthen their fraud defenses, fraudsters are also increasing their attacks. What reasons have you found to be behind that? Well, one must understand that fraud and corruption is a multi-billion rand industry. Um, so for fraudsters, they make their livelihood out of, out of fraud and corruption, um, cyber attacks, uh, skimming, fishing, those type of things. So they, they prey on the innocent, whether it's a, a pensioner, whether it's a, a student, whether it's a, it's a working class. Um, and, and they will continue working together with one another, and yes, syndicates work together to learn from one another uh, which company to target, how to target them, in order to maximize um, the efforts in making as much as uh, as possible out of it. Seemingly, and I I don't know if you would agree with me to say that we are seeing an increase in the number of these cases, especially in banks. Um, Would you say something is not working? What is working? What is Uh, not working? I rather would say you see an increase um, in, in the banking sector, but you also see it in all other sectors due to awareness. So the more people are aware, um, seeing what's happening and uh, aware of what you look for, the more they come forward with information on on, on fraud and corruption from being perpetrated. So it's not in, in, in actual fact an escalation of attacks. Well, that, that also, but it's more about awareness. So if you look at the efforts that's being put in by the banking sector of making aware what to look for at ATMs, for instance, um, look over your shoulder, look for a skimming device. How do I look for a skimming device? Now you, you, you start to see people um, fiddling with, the, with the, the slot where you insert your card. Seeing that it's loose, they don't insert the card, so they're actually preventing fraud from being, a, uh, from being perpetrated. By reporting that, that's not an increase, that's becoming more clever. Um, and so we do see an escalation um, but it's not only in the banking sector, it's all, it's all over, but it's because of awareness. Mr. Dijaga, Pyramid and Ponzi schemes have long been around, but in recent years they have been flourishing in different parts of the world. And it has been found that they are flourishing where education levels are low. Can you confirm that finding and is the conference perhaps uh, looking into how this could be thwarted? Yeah, again, it comes back to awareness and it comes back to uh, local and international legislation that deals with Ponzi schemes. Ponzi schemes is, n- is not a new thing. What's happening now is people become more aware of what to look out for, all these, these schemes to get you committed and, and, and um, false in, uh, investment schemes. This is more regulated now with uh, legislation like your and the FSB now now driving and, and dealing with it. Um, how do we how do we combat it? Not only with legislation. It, it becomes it, it gets back to going to the people, telling them what to look for, um, what to look out for, and to follow this basic rule. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And that is a doctor. That is Dr. Anastasia Marakiva, senior researcher.
at the physics division at St. Petersburg University. Rather, that is not Dr. Anastasia, that's Yakut Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Certified Ford Examiners South Africa, talking to Celine Dobong. Apologies about that. It is 1723 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest. Thank you very much for staying with the program where we give you news from an African perspective. You can find us on Twitter. It is Channel Africa One. It's Channel Africa One on Twitter. Now, let's go to Dr. Anastasia Marakieva who is a senior researcher of the Theoretical Physics Division at St. Petersburg Nuclear Physics Institute, as she tells us about scientists who have warned that forest loss may lead to more hurricanes. This is according to emerging theories the world forest may be protecting continents against cyclonic storms such as hurricanes, typhoons and cyclones. Yes, our main finding is that cyclones and their intense winds depend on consuming atmospheric water vapor. So if there is much atmospheric water vapor, cyclones are abundant and can develop huge power. On the other hand, forests also feed on water vapor, drawing it away from the ocean to land. And so if there are forests, So, in a way, forests and cyclones compete for oceanic water vapor. If we have abundant and healthy forests, which draw efficiently water vapor away from over the ocean, then cyclones, so to speak, have little to feed upon, and so they will be weak or absent altogether. So, and on the contrary, if we destroy forests, for example, as now... In Brazil, deforestation rates are accelerating. Then there is no drainage of water vapor from over the ocean. And so cyclones have abundant food to grow and develop. And in this case, there are many intense cyclones which can attack the adjacent lands. As we can see now with the United States coast being attacked by many tropical storms in a row. You see the point? Yes. Now, Anastasia, what forms some of these uh, cyclones and uh, that leads them to be more powerful in areas where there are no forests? Because when there are no forests, all water vapor that evaporates from the oceanic surface remains over the ocean. So the cyclones have a lot of so to speak food to grow and develop you see because forests don't draw moisture away from the ocean in this case you see if there are no forests so do you understand draw moisture away from the ocean because they need moisture for transpiration for growth and when there are healthy and abundant forests, this process is very intense. So, for example, in the Amazon, a lot of water vapor is imported from the ocean to land. And over the ocean, there is less water vapor remaining. You Mm -hmm. see? And so, in this case, cyclones are less likely to develop. When we destroy the forest, This process of moisture transport from ocean to land is also destroyed. And in this case, cyclones have a lot of 
energy source to develop, you see? And uh, what important role do forests play in issues of reducing or getting rid of some of these uh, strength of some of the cyclones? Another role that forests are playing is that they also have a higher roughness than uh, over the ocean. So over the forests, strong cyclones cannot develop because of this roughness. But the main role and what is uh, new and original in our research is that we show that forests and cyclones compete for atmospheric water vapor. And if forests win, if they take most water vapor for themselves, then cyclones lose and they become weak or non-existent. If the forests are destroyed, the situation is reversed, and now cyclones have all the water vapor in the atmosphere for themselves, and then we have more intense and a greater number of uh, these uh, devastating storms. See, this is the main idea, that forests and cyclones compete for atmospheric vapor that is created by evaporation in the atmosphere over the ocean. For this reason, for example, there are no cyclones between in the southern Atlantic, between the Amazon and Congo forests, just because these forests take practically all moisture for themselves, feeding these great rivers, the Amazon and Congo, because these rivers are fed by moisture transported from the ocean. And so if you look at the map of cyclones, which occur uh, on Earth, you will see that the part of Atlantic Ocean between the Brazil and equatorial Africa is free from cyclone. There are no cyclones there because it is a part of the ocean controlled by two big and uh, forests, Congo forests and uh, Amazon forests. That is Dr. Anastasia Makarieva, senior researcher of Theoretical Physics Division at St. Petersburg Nuclear Physics Institute on the line from St. Petersburg, Gatchen in the Russian Federation, talking to Wandi Lekhalipa. It is 17.30 Central African time in news headlines now with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spumalele. Good evening. Hundreds of supporters of Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta have held demonstrations outside the Supreme Court in Nairobi to protest the ruling which annulled last month's elections. They've accused the court of stealing their electoral victory. Judgment in the assault case against Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe has been postponed in the High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, until all parties submit additional arguments. They have until tomorrow to do so. And Pan-African Psychology Union President Seth Scooper says the profession should strive for a situation where political leaders consult them in policy making, in recognition of psychologists' expertise, in understanding the present and predicting future trends. Cooper was delivering his presidential speech at the first ever Pan-African Psychology Congress in Durban, South Africa. Those are news headlines.
Thank you very much, Amanda. Some political parties in South Africa's parliament have questioned ANC MP Nyame Boy's attendance of the SARS briefing yesterday. The EFF says it has written to Speaker Balegambete requesting her to discipline Boy for attending the briefing, while the IFP also says it will ask Opa Chairperson Temba Kodi to clarify in what capacity Boy attended the briefing. SARS yesterday briefed the media on the KPMG's conduct. Lula Mamadia reports. SARS Commissioner Tom Moyane yesterday held a media briefing following KPMG's withdrawal of its report that found there was a rogue unit within SARS. Moyane said they will institute legal proceedings against the audit firm for reputational damage, including a civil claim. ANC MP who sits on Scopa Nyami Boy attended the media briefing. EFF National Spokesperson Muisen Indlozi says they want Speaker Balegambete to take action against Boy. Well, we condemn Yami Boy for attending the SARS press conference sitting next to uh, Tom Moyani as he read out the SARS position in relation to KPMG and its scandalous report. What Yami Boy basically did was to create an impression as if Parliament, and in particular the SCOPA, is part of the pronouncements by Tom Moyan, giving also an impression that Parliament is in support uh, and stands behind Tom Moyan, uh, which is utterly uh, irregular. The IFP also weighed in. IFP MP Mkulego Lengwa says they will ask Scopa Chepes in Temba Godi to clarify Boy's presence at the briefing. Well, it was rather unfortunate for Mr. Boy to attend that press briefing under the guise that he was representing Scopa because he had not given him a mandate to do so. But if he was attending it on behalf of the ANC study group or ANC component of Scopa, then it is understandable. However, we do want to caution the IFP that Scopa must not find itself being a player and a referee in matters which will eventually find themselves before the committee. We need to maintain our independence and we need to ensure that we look at matters within the parameters of the law. So what happened yesterday is highly regrettable because it seeks to undermine the independence, integrity. Boy says he attended the briefing in his capacity as the whip of Scopa. Chairperson Temba Godi concurs. He says Boy's presence does not represent an endorsement of SARS' position on its dispute with the auditing firm. Comrade Boy, as the whip of the committee, um, was invited to the SARS press briefing. His attendance uh, does not represent an endorsement or otherwise the SARS' position in its dispute with some of its employees. Scopa remains neutral, it remains fair in its approach, and uh, we don't want his attendance to take the focus away from the substantive issues of the conduct of KPMG. And I'm satisfied that uh, Scopa cannot and will not be compromised by, by his attendance. At the time of broadcast, the spokesperson for Parliament, Muloto Motapo, said they have not received correspondence from the EFF, Lula Mamaya in Parliament.
It is 17.35 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. As we continue to give you news from an African perspective, my name is Spomele Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. In a bit, we'll be having a conversation with Mare Kanush, who is the World Bank Country Economist for South Africa. We will be talking about the report that they released today on South Africa and how they say that harnessing South Africa's untapped invasion potential could increase productivity. Stay with us. The third annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum Conference takes place in Cape Town, South Africa. The two-day event from the 5th to the 6th of October promises to ignite fundamental changes in Africa's socio-economic landscape. Channel Africa will be there to bring you the happenings live. Join us as we and the Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum push forward the economic empowerment of women who have historically been sidelined and disregarded in predominantly patriarchal and tribal societies. Listen to Channel Africa on the 5th and the 6th of October. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you very much for staying with us right here on Channel Africa. Now, the South African non-profit organization Songe Gender Justice, together with its partners, has launched Africa's first ever health and safety guide for sex work clients in the country's port city of Cape Town. With an unemployment rate of just over 26% in South Africa, many people sell sex as a means to support their families. At the same time, various people buy sex. However, the organization says sex worker clients are often ignored or overlooked in the sex industry and in society at large. Well, it is 17.38 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Remember that you can engage us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1. That is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. If you want to send us emails, you can send them to info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, harnessing South Africa's untapped innovation potential could increase productivity, help in job creation, and benefit the poor through the provision of better and cheaper goods and services. This is according to a World Bank report released today. The bank has revised the country's growth for 2017 from 1.1% in January to 0.6%. The 10th edition of the South Africa Economic Update for 2017 was released in Johannesburg. To discuss further, we're now joined in studio by reports co-author Mara Kanush, who is the World Bank Country Economist for South Africa. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa. 
Hi, Hizondi. Thanks for having me on your show, and hello to all your listeners. All right, thank you very much for joining us. Now, let's start with the revised forecast. Why did you see the need to revise it? Uh, Zondi, we revised this already um, in April, in fact, so this is not a downgrade from back then. The reason why we um, lowered our growth forecast is, has mostly to do with the, um, the downgrades um, that you're aware of, S&P and Fitch. Um, we expected this to shave about one percentage point of GDP. Um, it hasn't been quite as bad. Um, capital has been coming back to South Africa perhaps more than we, than we thought. Um, agriculture has been doing much better than we thought. So we had 0.6 for the year 2017. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the reports now. What are some of the findings? So the report focuses on innovation um, and innovation. How do you leverage innovation for reducing poverty and to create jobs? Innovation generally or innovation in specific sectors? We look at innovation in terms of productivity. Um, And for this, maybe let me quickly say what the World Bank does, what our mandate is. And because many of your listeners won't know who we are. We are a multilateral development bank. We are based in Washington, but we have an office here in Pretoria and our sister organization has one in Johannesburg. Our mandate is to reduce poverty and inequality across the world. And for this, we avail financing and knowledge solutions. And the report is just one of the products we produce. And this one focuses on South Africa, but we do it in many other countries as well. And in terms of this particular report focusing on innovation, we start off by realizing that productivity has fallen in South Africa quite significantly. Uh Productivity means what can you produce given your inputs, given your labor, your capital, your land, how much can you produce with that? In South Africa, what we see is that this has actually come down. South Africa has become less productive. And what we show in the report that this is bad for jobs. Mm. Um, and jobs have actually, actually been destroyed in many sectors, except for those sectors that are quite high-tech. And that is why we argue high-tech is good for South Africa. You want to leverage these sectors, these knowledge sectors, innovative sectors, um, because they generate growth, they generate jobs. But we also say in the report that innovation is not only good for jobs, it is also good for consumers and especially the poor, because the way poverty is measured is what do you consume? And your budget stretches a lot further if your goods and services that you that you buy are cheaper. Mm-hmm. And innovation allows us to produce cheaper goods and services. Mm. Um, you're saying this, but a lot of people tend to worry when you talk about technology, and they think, well, technology means a lot of a lot more people will be out of employment. That's absolutely right. And we do discuss that in the report. And I think it's really great to put some evidence towards this. Um, the World Bank has studied this across the world. We've looked at 15,000 firms and their, their, their hiring decisions, their investment decisions. And what this report finds is that it is true. Um, automization kills jobs but mostly in very developed countries. You know, your OECD countries that are really right at the technology frontier. That's when this happens. But when you're a bit further away from the technology frontier, such as in countries as South Africa, the impact of innovation on on, on job destruction isn't actually that bad. In fact, it creates more jobs than it destroys. And the reason for that is very simple. With the innovation, you can tap more demand so you can mm. produce more, and mm. that generates the additional jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm someone who is often an advocate of new technologies. Um, so, but at the same time, we have the problem of Uber with the protests that are going on, and um, as the drivers are saying, it's taking employment uh, away from them. Um, what's the purpose of this report in the end? The purpose is to give policymakers new ideas how we can reduce 
poverty, how we can create jobs. So this report is actually quite strong and very specific recommendations that the government can do in order to foster this innovation that eventually really is good for everyone. Let's hear those recommendations. So the first recommendation focuses on, you know, how easy is it as an entrepreneur to thrive in South Africa? So we show, for example, it takes 43 days just to open a business. Uh That is actually quite a long time. What causes that? These are the regulations, the the, the license that that you require and the like. That is just, that takes a long time. With every license, you need to wait, you need to wait. So fewer licenses or issuing licenses more efficiently, for example, through electronic government, e-government, which is in itself innovation, can make it much easier for entrepreneurs to get registered in South Africa and start their businesses. But that is only one. Another area we look at is trade. Let's say you're an entrepreneur and you have this amazing new product and you want to export it into the world. Then you will experience very high port costs. Port costs in South Africa are 88% of higher than they are in, 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 in sort of other countries, the global mm-hmm. average. So, it's, so you're already priced out of the market if you're, you're good that you want to export becomes more expensive as soon as it hits the port. Another area is ICT. We all like our, you know, our smartphones and our computers and we sit in our cafes and we work on laptops. Um, but that is very difficult in South Africa because it's not always so fast. Uh, uh. You smile at me because you know what I'm talking about. The cost is relatively high as well. Um, one gigabyte in, in South Africa is seven times as expensive as in Cameroon. So that obviously also is a, is a constraint to entrepreneurship if you cannot afford the data that you need in order to innovate, let's say, in ICT. Another area that we've looked at here is also exactly what we discussed, e-government. Uh, and the government services that are provided to, to entrepreneurs. Not only in terms of the services that you can access online when you access government websites, but also all the programs that government runs in order to support young entrepreneurs. We have some nice stories in the report. I would really like to encourage your listeners to look at them. We even have a little video on our website about the River Sands Incubation Hub. All right. Um, where can we find this report? So we're quickly running out of time because Usaini Matabula wants to come to the studio with his economics. Where can we find this report? You know, the easiest way is just use your ordinary search engine. That's very innovative, you know, Google or Bing. Um, Alternatively, you can go to our website, www.worldbank.org slash SA. All right, sure. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, That is Marek Hanush. Thank you, sir. Marek Hanush there is the World Bank Country Economist for South Africa. It is 1746 Central African time. Wissani Matebula is standing by with your economics. Good evening, Spumelele. The World Bank has revised uh, South Africa's growth for 2017 from 1.0% to 0.6% in January. The bank says despite uh, recovering from a technical recession in the second quarter of 2017, this will not be sufficient to restore positive per capita GDP growth in 2017 after two consecutive years of negative growth. 
The World Bank believes the slow growth experience in 2016 and 2017 is likely to deepen poverty trends recorded between 2011 and 2015. 80% of the population in South Africa experienced poverty over the last eight years. The bank released its ninth edition of the South Africa Economic Update for 2017 in Johannesburg. The bank's Sebastian de Sousse. Over the years, South Africa has been less efficient in its production system. With the same amount of resources, labor, capital, land, it is producing less today than it was producing in 2008. Obviously, capital has, has been growing, etc., but in terms of efficiency, South Africa is worse today than it was seven, eight years ago. South African brokerage house Sven fired KPMG as its auditor, citing well-publicized concerns about the accounting firm struggling to keep clients after flaws in its work for friends of President Jacob Zuma. KPMG cleared out at South African leadership en masse on Friday after it found that work done for firms owned by the Gupta family fell considerably short of its standards. It found no evidence of crimes or corruption, however. Sassfin's decision comes as several South African blue chips approached uh, by Reuters, including Barclays Africa and Old Mutual, said they were considering whether to cut ties with one of the biggest and most influential names in accounting. KPMG is the third global firm to face questions about as work for the Indian-born Gupta brothers who have been accused by an anti-graft watchdog of unduly influencing the awarding of uh, government contracts. And Africa's second biggest uh, copper producer, Zambia, seeking bidders for a fourth mobile network license to take on operators, including market leader MTN. The country gave the go-ahead to the telecommunications regulator to start the process. The new carrier could be in place over the next 6 to 12 months, and the country may even have the capacity for a fifth operator. The local unit of India's Bharti Airtel and state-owned Zemtel make up the current trio. The upcoming auction represents a rare opportunity for international wireless carriers to expand in sub-Saharan Africa without making an acquisition. Slowly, slowing economic growth and falling uh, tax revenue have limited the need for new providers, while Ethiopia is the only significant market that has not already opened up spectrum to private bidders. And former FNB chief economist uh, Case Brachemans has died after a long illness. Brachemans was FNB chief economist from 1985 and he retired in 2012. The Dutch immigrant held previous positions in different companies, including Shell, Standard Bank, and Sand Bank. He also lectured at Avats University in South Africa. Professor Ben Smith of the Bureau for Economic Research says Brahmans was instrumental in creating space for economists to share ideas. It, it was very private, but he was keen on communicating with, with other economists. That's why he organized all these meets. Uh, he, he was a prolific writer. Uh, I mean, he, he sort of brought, uh, after his retirement, he brought out a new piece every, every single day. Uh, I think he contributed immensely to the, to the economic debate uh, uh, in South Africa by sharing ideas. He's also extremely well read. And Egyptian banks have provided about 55.1 billion US dollars to fund trade since the country floated its uh, currency in uh, November last year. The banks were able to extend up to 40 billion dollars in documents for collections and letters of credit 
and open new letters of credit for up to $15.1 billion. Financial indicators, the US dollar trading at 13.22 South African rands, 10.06 Botswana Pula, and 9.55 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.73 to the British pound and 0.83 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,309, platinum $962 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is hovering at $55.25 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Thank you very much, Usani. It is now time for your sports news. sports fans, I am Musibu Dimakura with your latest sports news at the Sawam. And starting off with cricket news, New South Africa's national men's cricket team coach Otis Gibson faces a fast bowling crisis ahead of a two-test home series against Bangladesh that starts on the 28th of September as he plots a path to return the side to number one in the International Cricket Council's five-day rankings. Now Gibson left his post as England's bowling coach to take up uh, the top position with South Africa, but already faces a challenging start with several top performers sidelined by injury. Dale Stain's return has been delayed again this time indefinitely after he suffered a setback in his recovery with a strained muscle in his problematic shoulder. Fernand Philander has also been ruled out for the first test at least with a back problem sustained in the recent 3-1 test series loss to England while all-rounder Chris Morris will miss both games also because of a back injury. Promising youngster Lungi Ngidi, who burst onto the scene in T20 cricket earlier this year, is also out until mid-October with a stress fracture in his back. It means Kahi Sorabada as well as Mone Moko are the only two fit seamers with significant test experience, leaving Dwayne Olifi, Ruin Parnell as well as Andile Pesuguayo to likely fight over the other two positions. In the side. On to local football news, Cape Town City are hoping to give their new signing Nigerian international Victor Obina. He's at debut tonight when they take on Orlando Pirates in a PSL game at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg. Now Obina signed for City last week and travelled with the team to Johannesburg this week and hopes that they will have his work permit before kickoff. Now the former Inter Milan West Ham and Locomotive Moscow forward was a surprise signing by Benny McCarthy's team and McCarthy says that he and Obina who has been capped 48 times by his country, have been friends for a while now and kept in touch over the years. And then obviously I, I learned that he was free and he he doesn't have a club. But yeah, he, of course, when you're in Europe, why would you want to come back to South Africa? So I had to persuade him a little bit, to, you know, just to get himself back into playing football again and until he gets himself back I and mean, then you can always go back to Europe. It's not like and to my shock surprise he said, Yeah, why not? What what has he got to lose and and that's how really so he came down and that was it. Meanwhile, Robin Johannes, City's newly appointed captain, says the game against Pirates is an opportunity for the team to bounce back after suffering their first defeat of the season when they lost two 0 to Kaza Chiefs last week. Come. Coming up against another big team this week is going to be difficult. 
but I think it will be a good game to bounce back to our winning ways but it will take a lot of hard work, unity and teamwork to get the three points. While in the other matches taking place tonight, Bologna City will host Free State Stars at the Peter Mogaba Stadium, while Supersport United welcome Chippa United at the Lucas Moripe Stadium. All matches kick off at 7.30pm Central African time. All those are sports news at this hour. Back with more sports news in the next hour. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.56 Central African Time. Let's check out our top stories. Supporters of Kenya's president protest against their judiciary. Media rights groups in Zimbabwe to approach the SEDEC to complain over the continued harassment of journalists ahead of the 2018 poll. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spumela Lezondi, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Wiseman Mangaila, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, we are on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with Agana Mali by Sunil Musician and Something Soweto. <laughs>